We can take cues from Mother Nature in all different parts of the world, and we can put those cues together in one system, and you can magnify the bounty of what's possible. When thinking about our time with Tim Southwell of Yonder and ABC Acres, one phrase kept coming to mind, force of nature, for a whole host of reasons. Tim is utterly passionate about nature, whether that's learning from it, helping others reconnect to it, or receiving its healing powers. Anchored at ABC Acres in Hamilton, Montana, Tim is a full-time permaculture farmer where he is engaged in an ever-expanding experiment to learn from and work with nature in a way that mimics all the wisdom she has to offer us. And if that wasn't enough, inspired by his time on the farm, he started Yonder, a global platform helping people find and immerse themselves in nature-rich experiences. Whether you want to tour a farm, feed some animals, or stay at a vineyard, Yonder is an easy-to-use platform to find and book your next nature-focused getaway. We probably could have made this into a full-length feature documentary, and Tim and what he's doing is worth it. But for the sake of time, we hope you are inspired by this small peek into Tim's farm and passion. Hope you enjoy this one and see you down the road. Well, Tim, welcome to Roadcast. Jake, thanks very much for having We're me. We're so glad to be here. Maybe just orient us quickly. Like, where are we? Orient the viewer, like, where are we right now? Sure, where absolutely. We well, we're at ABC Acres in Hamilton, Montana. Hamilton, so Hamilton, Montana is in the center of uh, Ravalli County in southwestern Montana, tucked up on the eastern side of the Rocky Mountains, Love which it. you can see out there absolutely. in the distance. The reason, honestly, we're here is, again, always having a love for nature. and. Um, my work travels, uh, Sarah and my work travels have taken us to different places. And when we were in the cities, uh, in Kansas City particularly, I had my organic vegetable garden mm -hmm. in the front yard. And I can remember in a very nice neighborhood where no one had fruit trees and, yeah. and pumpkin patches. And people would stop, st complete strangers would stop and knock on the door and say, can my daughter walk through your pumpkin patch? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Yeah. This is crazy. Um, go for it. And then at the same time, my now 15 year old, and he was three at the time, was diagnosed under the autism spectrum. Mm. And we didn't know much about that. We had heard um, that was on the rise uh, with ADHD and diabetes and obesity, all these type of mm -hmm. things. And so Sarah and I took it upon ourselves, and, and mainly Sarah, she's tenacious, mm. learning about our food systems, mm. learning about clean water and clean air, and watching all the food documentaries, yeah. and kind of having this um, eye-opening experience, yeah. and realized that we needed to make a concerted effort to to clean up our lifestyle, yeah. and uh, empower our, our own health and healing. Here we were in Kansas City, our, our oldest just diagnosed under the autism spectrum. Let's get into understanding our food. So <clears throat> I go ahead and plant the organic garden in the front yard, fighting the tomato beetles, um, fighting the potato beetles, you know, tomato worms and potato beetles, fighting all these things. And then a gentleman, he's like, have you heard of permaculture? I'm like, what, what is that? And so in 2011, I went and got my permaculture accreditation um, out of Lawrence, Kansas. And my mind was blown mm. as to 
Mother Nature's design, she really knows what she's doing. Yeah. And if we as stewards and um, benefactors of that on this planet take cues from her and just and follow that path, we can have very rich, um, bountiful harvests with minimal um, uh, management and cost to oversee it. I'm like, I've, I've got to do this. Yeah. And what's cool about it is, and, and I want to show you another uh, design that we have, is that we can take cues from Mother Nature in all different parts of the world, and we can put those cues together in one system. Huh. And you can magnify the bounty of what's possible. And that's, that's one project we'll, we'll definitely highlight while we're taking a yeah. walk. But that's it, and I, I think, you know, again, I like to do things big, I like to challenge myself. I just, mm -hmm. it's just fun. I love it. You know? It's great. Um, yeah. It's fun. This is our agroforestry tree belts. Oh, interesting. Um, and what spurred this design was you see a lot of ranchers, a lot of conventional farming systems. They just have irrigated pasture. They, they don't use, say, the, the first 10 to 20 feet along their fence line. And the thought was, what if we could design oh, okay. tree no, systems yeah. that were just along, the, you know, if nothing else, just along the fence line. Mm -hmm. um, we decided to take it a little bit further and put them throughout the pasture. But where I'm going with this is our prevailing winds are from the south. Okay. That's where our dominant winds come in. If I planted a tree row along my fence line on the south and those trees grew up and reduced the prevailing southerly winds coming across during the summer, I wouldn't get the, uh, the evaporation of water from my pastures as much because uh -huh. the wind wasn't stroking against it. I could irrigate less. So if I pay $3,000 a, a year in my pumps, could I spend $1,500 a year by just reducing my irrigation needs? So it's not about impro uh. improving my revenues, it's about reducing my costs. At the same time, could I winter my cattle here? And if I had a, a tree row on my north side and I could protect my cattle from losing their body heat by protecting them against those cold winter blasts, instead of me spending $10,000 a year on hay, could I spend $7,000 because they're not going through as much? Again, reducing those operating costs. And so, Instead of just doing fence line rows on our design, we went ahead and set it up in these very large systems, both on the south and north ends, but also through here. You'll see they're kind of wow. Charlie bound in design yeah. because out of the west mountains, we get summer storms that blast from the west, and I wanted to be able to protect the animals and the, and, um, the uh, evaporation of the pastures. Um, to the tune of that ear, uh, wind coming through. Yeah. The idea by planting tree systems close together is that they're gonna compete against each other for light. Um, and so by close together, they're gonna go straight and narrow over time. So could we get maple trees in 20 years? Any tree system you're looking generationally. Mm -hmm. But in 20 years, can we get straight maple that we can cut and harvest for hard lumber? So could my kids come in here and take down a 14, 18 inch diameter um, maple tree and sell that for wood floor planking? At the same time, could you take out every other maple and keep the others for syrup production? Maybe, maybe well, not. I mean, there are sugar maples in yeah. there. But, uh, I, and going a step further, when the cattle come through here on a hot summer day, the sun is to the south. It puts the shade of the growing maple's shade on the pasture. Now my cattle have a shade system to be underneath to reduce their heat intake, making them more comfortable. And if they're comfortable, their immune system's strong and they keep weight on. Yes. And so there's a lot of things it's happening amazing. on that north side. And then if you go further in, I've got chestnut trees. So if you've been to Italy, 
If you see what they pay for some fantastic farm-raised pork in Italy that are naturally finished under the rich chestnuts that are dropping and getting that fat intake yeah. to really marble the pork product. Same concept here. The chestnuts are a very slow developing tree, but in 15 years, when they're big enough for us to reduce the fencing so that deer and elk can get in and not destroy the trees, could we take those hogs and for the last six weeks of their life, boom, come through chestnuts. here and have them graze under chestnuts for six <laughs> weeks, and then we take them to market. So uh, the tree system does have long-term design implications. Um, it's just long-term. Love it. <clears throat> the thing with, with permaculture that we have found, and we've been on this farm for nine years, for the first two, three years, there's a lot of management. Yeah. Um, you've got to be in there um, overseeing it, but year four, five, the forests have started to take off for themselves. Uh, um, and obviously annual vegetable gardens are, are, are continuing work, continuous work yeah. throughout. Um, our pastures are much more um, vibrant and healthy than they were nine years ago. Yeah. We, can, we, we can chart that now. Gotcha. And so we don't have to irrigate as much mm -hmm. uh, because we have more organic matter in the soil. It's holding more moisture now based mm -hmm. on what we've been doing. So yes, at the onset, you've got design, you have to baby a little bit, but once the system's in place, after year three, four, five, that it just, really starts to just roll. That's love, I love that. When Sarah and I bought this property in 2012, <clears throat> while before, during closing, we would come here and we'd talk to the owners and say, hey, can we come walk yeah. the property at night? And so we'd bring a bottle of wine and we'd park the vehicle oh, dude, and we'd go that. walk. Well, we couldn't walk the property because the insects were insane. No way. And we're like, what have we gotten ourselves into? I came in, we planted all the trees, 140 bird boxes. We created a balanced system <laughs> of birds and insects living in harmony. No insect issues Now you anymore. crack that bottle of wine yeah, and you got no not. bugs. And so we went from a monoculture of pasture grass where insects and mosquitoes were able to thrive. And we came in, we brought in a natural system design of different tree systems and shrubs, livestock systems, birdhouses for um, shelter for our pest management team, mm -hmm. which are our birds. And- um, What kind of birds? Uh, we, you know, <laughs> we built bluebird, blue um, swallow, and nuthatch boxes. What live in there? I mean, a different story. I mean, there could be um, finches and uh, titmouse and um, other types. So we don't really discriminate yeah, against yeah, yeah, um, the whatever different varieties. It is. We want to break pest cycles in our animals. And if you just leave animals in a stock pen, time over time over time, and they're uh, manuring and the insects come in, then those insects hatch and they're back on the animals. So we don't want to flood that one area with too much manure because too much fertilizer can be detrimental to the soil health. So we move them weekly. And so the pigs are in cahoots with the goats that are over there in the corner, gotcha. staying away from the irrigation. And so the goats will graze the paddock down. As you can see, the goats were in here yesterday. They graze the paddock down. Then the pigs come in and the pigs will unearth it. They'll rip it up, they'll eat the tubers in the ground. Yeah. Um, and then when the pigs leave, and Tim's probably about to do that here, we will seed behind the pigs. Um, we'll put in clovers, we'll put in beets and turnips, things that create no these nice rich tubers so that when the pigs come back around in a couple of months, they're gonna eat those sugar-rich um, beets and tubers that enhance the flavor of the meat.
When we started this farm in 2012, 2013, we got our first chickens. So were you you weren't a farmer previously no. then? This is all just, it's fairly new. This is trial and error, yeah. No way. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I tell, you know, like anybody who wants to learn something new, you've got to start, you know, at, at, at the very beginning. There's no way that's of cheating. That's inspiring though. There's, to no, like there's no cheating that. It, yeah. And I've tried to do that in my design um, examples here that you don't have to have 80 acres. You don't have to have $5,000 in the pocket. There are things, simple things you can do yeah. to enhance the productivity of the farm. Yonder, you're also the founder of Yonder. Mm -hmm. And where that, where that idea began, where it, was a birth on ABC Acres? Was it, you know, maybe just unpack what, what is Yonder? Yeah, And just absolutely. where did that, the, the genesis of that idea come yeah, from? Yeah, absolutely, happy to do so. Uh, so Sarah and I are the founder of Yonder, uh, Yonder Global. And in its most simplest form, Yonder is an online booking platform um, connecting people to authentic experiences in nature. Hmm. But it is, to me, it's, it's so much more than that. And it was cultivated and born here on the farm. Hmm. And I love that aspect because there are so many companies where people are thinking of ideas on the 52nd floor of a Manhattan sky rise. <laughs> and this yeah. was something, this was something that I saw that directly benefited not only my farm and its income earning potential, but I saw the experiences on my guests' face when mm. they came here. Yeah. And that, that's magical yeah. um, if you haven't seen it yet. Um, so in 2017, we decided, hey, let's, let's get into this concept of agritourism. And, yeah. and we started marketing it, both overnight stays, but also just engaging people on the farm for um, livestock feedings, self-guided walks, whatever it was. Yeah. And 2017, the revenue off of it surpassed our beef and pork. And there was this light bulb moment yeah. because one, it brought more income into our farm. And I have many friends in the farming community that are stewards of the land, that are giving their passion to the soil to create really healthy food. And they're up till two o'clock in the morning, harvesting strawberries to take to market on Saturday. And at the end of the year, do they have two nickels to rub together? Do they net five thousand dollars? I, you know, I don't know, but it's a, it's a, it's a labor of love. Oh agriculture. man! And I thought to myself, these people have a story to tell. Where, where can you, if you want to travel, if you want to connect to farms and food and nature, where can you find that online? Yeah. Well, in 2017, it didn't exist. It just did not exist. No one was telling that story and no yeah. one was promoting these authentic connections to nature. And so 2018, we really, we built it out. And into late 18, we launched Yonder, the yeah. booking platform focusing on farms, ranch, vineyards, and other authentic outdoor destinations. Yeah. And, and here we are. You can use other travel platforms and you can go anywhere USA or anywhere global and you can go to a museum, you can go to a ball game, you can you know, see a nice show. Mm -hmm. And then when you come home to your rental, you watch a movie, you have a dinner and that's fine. But I don't think they understand sometimes, maybe I'm not translating it well, that when they come out to a yonder stay, yes, they can go out and river raft, uh -huh. they can go hiking, um, they can, uh, you know, ATV riding, mm -hmm. but when they come back to the yonder stay, that in itself is the vacation. Yeah. You can take a walk around so here. So you don't leave. You, you don't just, leave. Yeah. It's, 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 it's 24 hours immersion. Please read your right. Um, <laughs> it's 24 immersion 
the time you get here to the time you leave. You I just mean, you can it. walk yeah. the property like we're doing now. You can totally. see the livestock there. You can go fishing. I mean, it's it's an immersive experience, and that's where our curation process is so strict that well, with the yonder stay, once you open the door and step out onto that patio, onto that deck, you must be in this. Gotcha. You know, you yeah, can't be in a, a good, subdivision yeah. next to the national park. So there is a filter in terms of what can be listed on yonder. Absolutely. We, we have a very robust, uh, large uh, curation team. You see the idea of perm like permaculture, mm -hmm. like in farming, and hey, we want to do it right. We want to like mimic how the world has always worked, you know, um, and respect the land and do it as healthy as we can. And yet feels like these entry points for people are so hard. And then at the same time, like you said, to actually make a living out of it is difficult. And so what I love about this, this optimi optimistic take is going like the way we can start looking at our land of going, I don't know, just, I can see the clear new pathway there of going mm -hmm. like, here's this other income stream for the farmer, you know, this agritourism that allows you to produce the things that are beautiful and healthy and still make a living and then provide people to these experiences. I realize that as a farmer, I'm doing livestock twice a day. Um, I have to do it. Yeah. Um, what if I just do a, an, an advertising and charge people, you know, $100 to come along with me for an hour? <laughs> I'm still doing the job. Yeah. And, you know, we, we will talk educationally about our systems yeah. and what we're doing. Um, but it doesn't take me any more time out of my day. So yeah. all of a sudden there's an income stream there. And uh, we do uh, a guided walks here, uh, self-guided walks yeah. here on the farm. $25 a carload. People came in yesterday in the park. I've got people coming this afternoon to do the same. So, you know, you, you point them in the direction, off they go. And so a farmer can realize three, four, five hundred $500 a week by having an active social media presence and yeah. this is where you spend 10 15 minutes a day so it's not a big outpour yeah, yeah. um to get them to the farm so you don't need to allocate five thousand dollars tens of thousands of dollars to get in this agritourism game yeah We realized after the first year of operating on the farm and driving our truck around, we had all these muddy roads. I mean, it was just, you know, ruts. And I said, you know, we need to, we need to rock up these roads. I said, let's go ahead and quarry our rock from our property because we're on the riverbed. Let's take it from this lower pasture because I know if we go down low and take the river rock, we may get water feature out of it. In doing that, we went ahead and created a, a terraced pond system and to the Inexperienced eye, it's, it's beautiful. There are fish in it. The ducks land on it. But we wanted to utilize it as a growing system to huh. see if we could use cues from Mother Nature to enhance the ability for things to grow. So there's a lot of things going on here right now. Yeah. We purposely terraced up the northeast side of the pond, which is southwest facing, because we knew through any given time of the year, summer or winter, that would maximize the heat gain from the direct sun coming in from the southwest, okay? So we have one heat element going on. Two, we, knew, we know that sun reflects off of a watered system. So now we have two systems at play, direct sunlight and the reflection off of the water, which give two heat sources. We also have the thermal mass, which we'll recognize from Big Fork being close to, to Flathead Lake. We now have 
three heat sources that are at play here, mm -hmm. right? Um, <clears throat> during the winter months, when it's cold, air temperature is cold, the top of the water gets cold and sinks. So you have a convectional current going on that keeps the pond relatively warm in relation to the ambient air temperature. So we have three air, three heat systems going on. Four, we know that frost likes to settle at its lowest point. Well, if we plant trees of a warmer variety, mid-level on that terrace, we know the cold air from up above will not stagnate on the, grow, on the growing uh, plants that we want. We know it'll come all the way down to the lowest point, but it'll also hit the thermal mass of the pond and it'll keep it moving. So we have four things happening right now to create a warmer section, what's called a microclimate. We also know the north winds blast from the north. So if we hide them down below, the north winds are gonna shoot right over. So we got five things going on there. We also planted the stones in the water because those are a thermal mass element as well, right? They're taking the heat from the sun and they're emanating down below to the water. So we're creating these six things that are going on. So cues from mother nature's by learning. Yeah. When, when you're out observing nature, what's going on, we tried to put them all into one area. I wanted to point out these two peninsulas that we need to do a little rework on this huh? fall, uh, this, um, this fall and winter because um, they're starting to get a little dilapidated. But I'm going to throw a word out at you. Chinampa. Have you ever heard of a Chinampa? No clue. Okay. So a Chinampa is a growing system that came out of Central America, Brazil, okay. used by the, um, the, local, um, the local tribes to um, enhance the productivity of their growing systems. What they would do is they would go out into the, um, into the waterways, canals, ponds, and they would cut down uh, willow, other um, native plants, and they'd weave together a floating basket. Then they would get the muck from the river or the, the, the pond, and they would put it on top and create a floating island that through capillary action, oh, no they, could, they could extend their growing system. <clears throat> and so we wanted to try oh, to mimic no that way. here. Could we do this here? So we created these two peninsulas. You see we've got hops growing up yeah, over yeah. this vine, you know, completely unirrigated by us, but through the capillary Just action, it's it thriving. But what I'm really excited about this system, and we have yet to, to do it, but the design concept was, if we create two peninsulas like this, we release trout that we are gonna catch from the waterway that are gonna die anyway. Let's bring them into this water system. If we can train the trout to feed on, say, fish pellets, we could conceivably then have a net, weighted net, underneath at the end of each peninsula. Feed the trout here, they come in, pull up the net, and we can harvest our trout for dinner. So it becomes a whole livestock system, Crazy. in a sense, which I really like the concept there. Yeah, yeah. One of the projects my boys and I are working on this fall is we are gonna put a solar-powered air pump on the north side, which will get the, the, um, the sun, and it will create um, a, a bubbling effect. It'll bring oxygen into the, into the pond, yeah. which allows us to um, which allows us to maximize the amount of fish that we can actually gotcha. um, keep at any given time. I just love it, zero waste. This is our uh, year-round greenhouse. In each corner of the greenhouse, I have two small 12-volt fans, not a big electrical load, that are tied into the registers that heat and cool the, the greenhouse. 
And so I can set the greenhouse, say, at 75 degrees, 78 degrees. And when it gets above 78 degrees, those fans kick on, and they're taking the heat that's building up in here, and they draw it down into the ground. We're standing on about seven foot deep of clean river rock aggregate, no about three, four inches, which is a thermal mass. So it's taking the heat and storing that heat in the floor. But what it's doing in reverse is while it's doing that, it's actually emanating the cool that it captured last night. So if we feel, no, not coming out yet. So what happens is that will take the heat in and store it, and then the cool will come back out here during the day. And then at night, when it gets too cold in here, the registers will turn on, they'll take the, the cool down, and today's heat will come, come up. back up. Yeah, exactly. Oh so we'll keep it at anywhere from 45, 50 degrees at night to 78 degrees during the day. In the event that we have a Montana winter that is not typical, which is usually full sun, you know, big sky, full sun. If we get like five days of cloudy, for whatever reason, we don't get that, that sun to charge the system. So we do have an infrared heater backup uh. that can kick on and heat the big thermal mass black concrete wall behind it. Oh wow. So again, based on design, um, this, the summer sun is really not penetrating the space enough to heat my thermal wall. But come winter solstice, 60 days on either side, that sun is radiating in and charging that eight inch thick concrete yeah. in lieu or in, in tandem with the climate battery that's working. Yeah. And then lastly, another design I took was the subsurface component. We talked about 60 degrees soil temperature at about six feet below grade. We're about three feet below grade right now. So we're tempering, the outside walls are being tempered a little bit yeah. by the soil connection. So, I mean, we have bananas you'll see in the corner. And if you look to the lower left, we've oh, actually yeah. got the bananas coming in. That'll be our third set of bananas coming in this year. We have papayas right up here. <laughs> So the papaya plants are doing great. What was the thought behind this kind of tropical like greenhouse? I mean, in Montana, it doesn't seem like the first thing that would cross my mind to be like, hey, let's you know, like, hey, let's grow. I, you know, I think it speaks to everything you've seen on this, on this walk so far. Yeah. It's like, can it be done, yeah. right? I mean, if I'm gonna do it, we're gonna go big, you know? And so that's just been the attitude. Um, yeah. Plus, could you be the only farmer at the farmer's market selling avocados grown in Montana? In Montana. How much would you pay for those, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So, um, so yeah, I think that's, that was it. This is a big wide world. And I remember talking to a friend of mine back in Kansas City 15 years ago and kind of frustrated with myself and what direction I'm gonna go. And there's so many things to do. There's yeah. so, so much help and, and passions need to be applied in so many uh, aspects of life. And he's like, Tim, there's tens of thousands of people doing those things. Focus on you know your one, yeah. two passions and do it, knowing that there are others doing it. And there are. And you know we're picking our, our thread and we're going there hot and heavy and we're going to be authentic about it and we're going to yeah. offer a fantastic product. But I want to promote those other folks that are doing something like-minded as well as other things outside of the industry. Um, together we can all make the difference. That's, that's the way to be. I think, it, And it comes through. And I think we do the next episode in Italy. I think we should probably check. I'll take you up on it. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. You guys floating the bill for that? Uh, <laughs> maybe. We'll check into we'll, it. We'll yeah. work that out later. Yeah, a couple years. Well, thanks again for hosting us here. It's it's just an absolute pleasure. Um, so enjoyable, and I just love what's happening in Montana. And I hope that what's happening amongst you and your friends and other people doing doing stuff here just explodes. Connecting awesome. people to uh, genuine experiences in the outdoors, connecting to each other, um, 
Yeah, that's what it's, it's about. It's been great. Appreciate Thanks, Jake. It. Yep. Really appreciate it. Yep. Thank All you, right. sir.